The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Debenport. And we are here with Voices of Unity. We're live on, what is today? February 19th. <sighs> Thanks for waiting. If you're waiting for us to come on live, we know we're a couple of minutes late. Just occasionally there's a glitch. <laughs> Voices of Unity is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise so that you can dive deep into spiritual topics and discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. I'm Ellen Devonport. I'm the host, but really more of an MC. Um, our guests are sometimes Unity ministers, but also others who can share something special they've learned, some body of work that they have. They're not just here once. They come for several weeks at a time. And so this is our third week with Reverend Patricia Galino-Lansky, who is the minister at Unity of Charlottesville, Virginia. But her body of work is around grief. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks. We've taken a pretty deep dive into grief, haven't we, Patricia? I, I would say we have, yes, Ellen. <laughs> so if you didn't hear those shows, you might want to go back and listen. Last week, we went over the famous Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. That's right, isn't it? Um, yes. And Patricia talked about how each of those shows up and just talked in general about what to expect when you're grieving. What are the feelings going to be? How long might it last? And the short answer is it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. So know that whatever you're going through is probably normal. Today, we wanted to talk about developing a practice of letting go, which mm -hmm. makes me uneasy just to say those <laughs> words. Because <laughs> our culture really doesn't teach us that, oh, everything's impermanent and this has just come to pass and we're all in a flow. No, the way things no. are today is the way they're always going to be, good or bad. And yes. I, I catch myself getting really caught in that view of circumstances today are permanent, mm. which probably doesn't serve us well when we are grieving a loss. So let me just turn it over to you. Where do we, where do we go with this? Yes. Well, it is... Um... It's wonderful to be here again with you today, Ellen. And uh, this practice of letting go, you know, is, is a very deep spiritual practice. And like you say, in our Western culture, we're not really trained to embrace it the way that other peoples do. Um, but it is such an important practice. It involves our day-to-day -day life. Um, for instance, you, I believe... Uh, did a beautiful job of letting go by the glitch happening at the beginning of the program. <laughs> I was pretty panicked. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> um, it didn't show. <laughs> and, and it is, of course, also the core practice of when we die. Um, and through all of that, it does give us greater freedom and greater flow and greater possibilities in our life. So, so there is something very important to learn about it. Uh, it. It is a process that we must embrace in life as well as in dying. Uh, we must learn how to embrace both life and loss. And even as we accept death, notice we have to let go of everything. We have to let go of our world, everything that we have known, um, let go of our loved ones, even let go of our own body. Everything goes, except, mm. except, very important, except for our own soul. The lessons that we have learned, the love that we've given and received. And through life, every day, every moment, is an opportunity to experiment with where we are on the spectrum of being comfortable with letting go or not and do we have a willingness to even let go sometimes i wish i had been born in an eastern culture mm. so that i could just live and let live i every just let everything be I, yeah. or is that just a stereotype view of what eastern cultures are like do other oh, cultures no. do this better than we do I believe they really do. You know, in, in our society, I, I even hear in your voice, you know, that there's like, oh, this this just drops down. You know, uh, there's a lot of denial in our culture. We often think that, you know, death and loss, it just won't happen to me. Um, and when it does happen, we think, well, something must be wrong because, he or she shouldn't have died. Um, I shouldn't have lost this this marriage, this valuable thing, this uh, job. You know, something is very, very wrong. Uh, however, in other cultures, they don't look at it that way. And I, I love what uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, the Buddhist monk teacher, Vietnamese Buddhist monk teacher said, if you suffer, it is not because things are impermanent. You suffer because you believe things are supposed to be permanent. And, and that's what we kind of believe in our culture, that everything is supposed to be permanent. Um, but obviously it isn't. And, and that makes it more difficult for us. Um, you know, other cultures really have a great, great way of, of looking at this. Um, and we can learn a lot from them. Actually, one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I realized that we in the Western culture really could use a practical guide about death and dying in our culture, about grieving, um, with spiritual wisdom to prepare us Westerners for death, for loss, for um impermanence that nothing really lasts forever so um would you like to hear about some of the old other cultures ellen <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hold on to that because we have a caller oh great okay yeah so oh, wonderful this is henry henry are you there yes i am thank you for taking thanks for my calling call. the show yeah <clears throat> 
and I'm I'm very interested in the topic so far. So I had um, I, I I listened to the the last uh, ca- uh, caller that called in who had a mother I mm-hmm. think who died when she was 66. My situation yes. is similar. My father was a smoker, and he died at 66 from lung cancer. And ironically, in high school, he was a nationally ranked track star and had Mm -hmm. amazing uh, track abilities as a runner. But he took Uh up after, um, you know, when he was in his 20s, he took up smoking. In the U.S., it was uh, very popular at the time and considered trendy. Mm -hmm. And when he finally got a diagnosis of lung cancer, he threw his cigarettes in the trash, according to my mother. Mm -hmm. But it was too Mm -hmm. late, and... He died within a few months, and he was here in my home for a while at the end, and I was present in the room when he drew his last breath. And I had grown up in a family of six kids, six children, left home after high school to join join the military and was away from my parents for many years and finally Mm. moved back um, to the east and was closer to them in my 40s and wanted to see if I could spend more time with him. I started to realize how important that was. And uh-huh. uh, But he died shortly at, before I really got to have any kind of a relationship with him. So yes. 35 years later, <laughs> today or whatever at this time, I still have these feelings of sadness that he's gone, as mm-hmm. well as, as feelings of regret that I, I didn't use the time I had to have a closer relationship. Yes. And I have some feelings yes. of anger and resentment, especially toward the tobacco industry, as mm-hmm. well as toward him, too, mm-hmm. that he did not choose to stop smoking, even though he knew the dangers. As, I, yes. as a former smoker yes. myself, I, I quit in my early 30s, and I'm now 77. I've spent mm-hmm. mu- as much time as I can as a father with, developing closer relationships with my own children and how mm-hmm. valuable those are. And I just wish I had had this opportunity with my father. So, Oh, Henry, yes. Excuse me. Go ahead. Well, I just, whatever you could uh, help me with on that, I would appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for calling and sharing your story with us. Um, you know, you are... Oh, I can. I know that your sadness is real, and uh, and that regret of not having the quality time, the more time with your father that you you really were starting to realize was so important to you right before he died. Uh, so I'm sure it's a it's a huge sadness that is very real to you and. Um, and the sadness, I believe, and the grief is because you loved. Um, that That is part and parcel. If you really didn't care so much about him, you know, there are people that don't really have much of a relationship with their parent or even care to. Uh, the loss of that parent is not what you're experiencing. So that says to me that you did love him and that you did want more of that connection with him that you were cut off so so early really in his life and early in your life as well so i hear that you have 
done a lot of good good work around this already, Henry. Um, the idea that you you've identified very clearly that you are angry, that you have some anger at at the cigarette industry, which uh, you know, I mean, we we grew up hearing their their uh, cancer weeds or something like that. You know that uh, that we've come to see how very dangerous that addiction is, and and some anger at your father for for not quitting earlier, um, anger at the situation that um, even when he got his diagnosis and he stopped immediately. Um, that even then it was too late to to change the course of his illness. Um, so there are there are things to be angry about, and and that is real. Um, I am wondering if there might be some anger in yourself as well, for as you say the regret of just not being able to be there with him more than than what you were. That is normal. That is normal. Um, it sounds like you've moved forward also in another way where you have um, made it a, a, a real priority, that sounds, to be closer in the relationship with your own children and how very important that is. Um, so in a way, you know, we oftentimes, um, we don't know how long any of us will live and it's a... Uh, often seems to be out of our control. But an important question is, did that life matter? Did that life matter to you? Obviously, your father's life did matter to you. And I'm sure if we talked more, there would be other ways that he mattered to you. But just the fact that what you went through with him, the death included, allowed you to really have a priority about having a good and solid, closer relationship with your, your own children. Um, so that mattered to you. He mattered to you. And there is a way to continue to work on forgiveness because forgiveness will, of course, allow for us to have more freedom and um, and a more peaceful life and a more peaceful dying ourselves um, so that we move through the backlog of any regrets that we've had through life. I would ask you to really search your heart and, and see if the sadness um, is different than, the, than the, the regret. Because I think they are two different things and they can feel very close to each other. Um, the regret, uh, you may want to listen more with our practice of letting go here today, but but the forgiveness will allow you to release the regret more. And, and the sadness, as I say, may always be there because somebody you loved so much is gone. And the sadness is, is nothing, nothing wrong with that. It is a natural feeling whenever... You may think of him or wish that he could be, could have been with you longer. Um, you know, in the 12-step programs, I'm, uh, calls to mind, you have a couple of things going on here. One is an addiction to a very, very strong substance of smoking. 
And a lot of times, the rest of us who watch somebody addicted to whatever it is, uh, could be smoking, could be uh, overeating, it could be gambling, it could be drinking, whatever it is, people can, from the outside, who love these people who have addictions, can feel so, um, so resentful that that these loved ones are still engaging in um, an addiction that is life-threatening um, to some extent or another, all of them. So that process is about really letting go and knowing that the person has the right to make certain choices in their life and reap the rewards or the or the the difficulties from those choices, that that, that is such an inside-out job. And I just want to mention that cigarettes, I, I lucky, luckily have never smoked myself, but a dear friend of mine was addicted to heroin and smoking at the same time. And she shared with me that getting off heroin, as hard as it was, was easier than getting off cigarettes. Mm-hmm. That says wow. a lot to me. Yeah. So your father may have been under that influence of a social norm. You know, it was cool to smoke back then, as well as being deeply addicted to this, this cigarettes. Um, so we can feel some compassion for people who are addicted. It's not an easy road. And... Yeah. Um, and, and the 12-step programs also encourage us to make amends wherever possible to do so, not to harm another person or ourselves. And there may be a way, a creative way, I'm thinking, that you might try to see if this works for you, to make amends with your father. You know, I believe that the spirit is just, is never gone, that we are always connected even through time and space. So I believe that your father's soul is still alive. Um, and if you were to do something along the lines, I'm just throwing out an idea if it works for you, to write a letter to him and to develop a little bit more perhaps in your journaling or, in your, or your writing about who this man really was. Obviously, he, he brought forth six children. He, uh, I'm assuming he provided for them. He was a track star uh, in his early life. And so there's good that he brought forth into this world. Perhaps if you could develop that, almost like I think about authors developing a character from sketches that they have. Uh, they may not know the full character yet, like you have missing pieces about your father. But if you were to um, creatively think about what, what would dad do here, you know, from what you know about him, you might begin to have an enhanced relationship with him, even though he is not physically here with you. Um, and perhaps that relationship in your heart would console you and and 
and forward your life so that you could feel that you do have more of him. There's more that's perhaps from your siblings, perhaps perhaps from things that you know about that you might even piece together and, um, and have a conversation with him in the letter that you write. These are just some thoughts that I have. Um, yeah. Thank certainly, you. you know, losing your father in that way is is very difficult. And uh, and um, but there may be more more to do. <laughs> yes. Well, well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that, Patricia. So I will take your words to heart. You're very welcome. Thank you for for calling in, and I wish you all the best. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Thank thanks, thank Henry. you. Wow. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, because I was thinking as, as you and Henry were talking that if we had a better, healthier sense of impermanence, Mm. we might make more of the time we have and regret less when someone is gone or when that time is over. Do you think that's true? Oh, I agree so very much with you, Ellen, because um, if we could embrace this idea that nothing lasts forever, then every conversation, every moment, every every morning that we wake up and we have another day of life, everything takes on a, a great preciousness. And, um, you know, we might say, uh, what is important to me? You know, is my brother important to me? Is my is my family important to me? Then, then what am I doing to actually have quality time with them? Because we never know. You see, if we embrace the impermanence, then we truly never know when when we will leave, when when we will die, when I will die, when my loved one will die. So, life takes on. Uh, a preciousness in that context. So I, I agree with you. You've probably read Stephen Levine's book called A Year to Live. Yes, I have, um, and, and the others of his as well. Yeah. A group yeah. in my church took that book and just went through it. They met once a month and did what he recommended, uh, to live as if you had a year to live. Mm-hmm. And they found it very satisfying, but I can imagine some listeners are thinking, well, that would be depressing. To be mm-hmm. thinking every minute, well, this isn't going to last. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's that's actually just the facts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but <shoot>. yeah, <laughs> it, nothing is going to last forever. But we we don't we're not schooled in that in our culture, um, and so having a year to live to can you imagine uh, on the other way to look at it that this year might be the best year of my life so far. It doesn't mean that then you're going to die right after it. <laughs> um, but the other years will be bad. No, not at all. Perhaps they can continue to move upward. You know, our, our beloved Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, one of the wonderful things that I love that he said is that we are all on an ever upward spiral of spiritual development. So, mm-hmm. yes, make this year the best year ever. And then next year will be even better. You know, there's no end to our spiritual 
upliftment or spiritual direction and 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 uh, movement upward you know i'm the temporary editor of daily word because we're between editors right now uh-huh. and there are 13 words that appear in every issue every month of daily word and one of them is the entry for let go and let god mm-hmm. which has been a, a, a regular in daily word for many years and that just tells me that everybody struggles with it sometimes yes we probably don't have this going with the flow thing down as well as we think we would like to no and and one thing that i love about about unity is that most most of the centers um, have a, a wonderful service at the end of the year called the Burning Bowls Ceremony. Mm-hmm. We we have done that every year uh, that we've been here, and certainly I engaged in it before. And it's about practicing letting go. And right. I'm glad that we do that. People really relate to it very much. We are already at a break. This mm-hmm. is Voices of Unity with Patricia Galino-Lansky as our guest. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. Healing is the experience in our life of coming out of the darkness into the light getting out of the confusion of human consciousness into the allness which is always present. But the allness of infinite life is present even within the illness. So God is not a healer. He doesn't look down upon you and say, well, you're sick, but you're a good person and I like you very much, so I'm going to take this illness away from you. God doesn't take illness away from anybody, nor does God put illness into anyone, which belies a lot of traditional religious thought too. We talk about, well, suffered to be so, it's God's will, and I guess it's my place to accept it. The will of God must always be the ceaseless longing of the Creator to express itself in that which has created. So it's a constancy, it's a force which is ever seeking to press itself out into visibility as life, as wholeness, as success. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. 
In today's turbulent times, it seems like the bad news never stops. It's easy to feel helpless and overwhelmed. Life's challenges can also hide opportunities for growth, renewal, and healing. Join author, activist, and life coach Carolyn Baker for a transformative workshop April 4th to the 6th at Unity Village in Kansas City, Missouri. Discover how to find meaning in chaos and navigate this journey called life with more love and joy. Go to unity.org and click Retreats and Events for more information. Is life getting you down? Don't worry, choose happy. Join Dr. Marissa Pay every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central and get ready to shift your outlook. Dr. Marissa is an organizational psychologist and life balance coach who will help you to process the tough stuff. Get real life strategies you can use today to experience more hope and happiness. Call in and join the live show or listen later on demand only on unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Devonport. Hey, we are back with Voices of Unity. We're having a great conversation about grief and death and impermanence but let's just take a minute here patricia so people can find out where to find out more about you oh great thank you ellen well i have a website called embracingyourlife.net and on that website uh, you can certainly purchase my book which is called accepting death embracing life how death teaches us to live and also on the website, I have put in um, several blogs to go along with um, additional questions if you want to go further in the topics that we've been covering in these four weeks. So you'll see something there uh, this week about developing a practice of letting go. Um, and I'm also, as Ellen said, co-minister at Unity of Charlottesville in Charlottesville, Virginia. And we have a wonderful celebration service every Sunday morning at 1030. So if, if you're in the neighborhood, please stop by and say hello. I'd love to meet you. We were talking just before the break about letting go and the burning bowl service. Yes. At, at New Year's in most Unity churches. Mm-hmm. They have a burning bowl service where people write down whatever they want to let go of, leave behind in the old year, not take with them into the new year. And then it's literally burned up in a fire. And we did that at Unity Village, too. As, and so people sent in from all over the world what uh-huh. they wanted to burn up in the fire. And there were thousands and thousands of these slips of paper wow. that we <laughs> dropped into this cauldron in the courtyard. Uh-huh. And it I just loved it, thinking of people releasing all of those things. Yes. That yes. those limiting thoughts and beliefs and fears. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I hope they felt it. It was it was live on Facebook, mm. and I just hope they got a sense that we really took that seriously and burned up those things for them. Yes. Well, I think, and uh, that's really great to hear that that you did that in the village this year, and. Uh, course many of the centers do that every year and uh, we find that uh, people will come back especially for that experience Uh, there's something very very powerful about doing this in spiritual community you know anybody could 
write down something at New Year's and set it aflame and, you know, throw it in their sink if they want to. It's um, not the same. It's not the same at all because there is really a combined energy of doing this together with other like-minded people and um, and there's the support there and it magnifies it as well. Um, so it's it's really a wonderful a wonderful practice and that is one practice that we actually do have in in the unity movement in our culture that uh, does, encourage us to look at what no longer is serving us so that mm -hmm. we can release it and let it go and become freer, freer and have a fuller life right now. Um, so this, this whole idea of impermanence, you know, there's, it's, there's so much good to it, but, and there, there is certain fear about it as well. Um, I know that people, yeah, go ahead. But we talk in unity about transformation. I mean, that's our whole thing. Yes. Is transformation. And yet we are sometimes resistant to change. And yes. I mean, it's only logical that in order to transform, there will have to be changes. And the way we phrase it in unity, the old timers would say, you have to die to your old ways. Mm -hmm. You die to your ego self. They, yes. they take that as the meaning of the crucifixion, that you die to error thinking. Mm -hmm. so, and we, like Paul said, we die daily. It's yeah. a practice. Yeah. yeah, so, okay, so we'll get to how we practice it. Okay. Um, so go ahead. What more do we need yeah, to know about the, impermanence? There is there is something that is that is scary about it because... Truthfully, when, when we let go of something, just completely let go of it, we're not 100% sure that anything will take its place. I mean, where's the guarantee? And oftentimes there is a bit of dread that what we lose will never re be replaced by something at least as good, certainly mm -hmm. not better than what we'd been holding on to. And and we fear this unknown, and so we cling sometimes the, to the familiar that, you know, might be wonderful, but it, it might not be the whole story. Um, I have a, a dear friend who um, had a, a magnificent, long, long relationship with with a wonderful husband, and uh, she uh, he died, uh, oh, a number of years ago, and she's moving up in age, as we all are, and she really thought that that was the end of anyone that she would have a relationship with. She was not looking for a new relationship, but the universe has provided her now with one that is, uh, you, how can you, you can't say better, <laughs> because how can you compare one relationship one love with right. another love but there is something new and rich and and fulfilling about this new relationship that has added something to her life that she did not really have fully before mm -hmm. and and isn't that wonderful that you know by being open to something new in her life the new is adding new layers to her experience of living. Mm -hmm. And um, so there, 
yet, you know, we can be afraid. We can be afraid of it. And we're not trained to really be comfortable with the letting go process. So I wanted us to talk about how other cultures handle it. I've mm. been to a couple of Mexican Day of the Dead parties. Oh, good. And, and they practically seem to celebrate death. Yes. They or at do. least they're not afraid of it. Yeah, they, they are not at all afraid of it. They're magnificent in their Mexican Day of the Dead. It's uh, They believe that death is part and parcel of the journey of life and that new life can come from death. And so, well, if you've seen it, it's just it's just wonderful. They usually celebrate it uh, for three days in Mexico and Central America, usually October 31st through November 2nd. And this has been a practice that's gone on over 3,000 years. Wow. Uh, yeah. And the people of Mexico and some of Central America, they they believe in their spiritual understanding that somehow the veil is thinner between our world and the spiritual world during those three days of the year. And um, so they, they have an explosion of color and life-affirming joy. Uh, mm-hmm. The theme is death, but... The point is to demonstrate love and respect for the deceased family members, and they go all out. I mean, they they really um, go to the cemeteries and create temporary altars on the tombstones right in the graveyard. They're not afraid of it, and uh, they bring the the traditional dishes and the special foods that their loved one enjoyed so much, they bring them to the graveyard. They bring flowers and colors. And I just love this. They they use these little flowers to make a path all the way from the, the grave site back to the relative's home. In other, in other words, to encourage the spirit to follow, follow oh. the path back home. Oh. And uh, they have uh, makeup and costumes, parades and parties. They sing, they dance, they make offerings to the loved ones. And I, I'm really taken by the, the skull. Uh, oftentimes they make sugar skulls. Sugar skulls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that represents the departed soul. And then they eat it for candy. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a dessert. <laughs> And uh, and so that idea, and they all have the makeup where they look like they are skeletons. They have the white face with the big mm-hmm. holes for the eyes, you know, to look like skeletons. So they really, um, they're embracing it. You know, they are embracing uh, life and embracing death. Um, they're a great example of that. You know, the uh, uh, Tibetans and uh, other Buddhists, have many practices in their um, in their religion and in their culture that prepares them similarly to um, accept that death is just a natural part of life. Um, we just had these wonderful monks who came from Tibet. They're on a nine-month tour, and we've had them a couple of times. They're from the Tashi Kiel Monastery in northern India. And over the years... Uh, they come about every two years. We always love to have them. And um, this year they did something quite different. 
they did what they called a skeleton dance. And one of the monks was all dressed up, yep, and uh, he had a huge mask on that was, again, a white face with the huge holes for eyes, looking like a skeleton. And then on the crown of his uh, mask, he had five miniature skulls around the brow. And uh, he did a dance uh, accompanied by the drum and those beautiful long Tibetan horns and a lot of like clangy sounds. And he was very kind of like stomping, awkward kind of like stomping to the, the drum and the cymbals and all of that. It, it, there was a lot of cacophony. It almost sounded like um, traffic horns in a big city. You know what I mean? <laughs> Is this to wake so, the dead? I think it's to wake us up. I oh, think it's oh. to wake us up. <laughs> and, and to remember, remember about impermanence to look death in the face. I mean, we were we were looking at this this skeleton dancing, you know, saying, wake up, wake up. Um, that's what I, I really got from it. And, uh, um, and he was a little hmm. scary too, and a little bit scary and at the same time kind of bizarre clownish kind of. So it was a, an interesting mix of, of feelings as we watched him. Um, huh, this was, because yeah. the skeletons mm -hmm. in the Mexican Day of the Dead are, they, they're not intended to be scary, right? I don't think so. I don't Clownish think so. is a good word for this. And mm -hmm. imagine growing up that way, that yes. we, we laugh at death, we embrace death. If someone dies, we'll just celebrate them next year. Yes. Wouldn't, wouldn't that make a difference in your outlook? If you grew up I, that way, I would imagine it. It must um, because it's so, so ingrained in the culture. And um, you know, the other thing that the Tibetans do that I think is is more familiar is the Buddhist sand mandala. And uh, mm -hmm. we actually had these Tashi Kiel monks um, do a sand mandala the the previous time they were with us. This takes five days for you know, several, maybe six or eight monks all day long to be building a symbolic pattern in the shape of a circle out of sand, colored sand. It's, it's extremely intricate and it's even three-dimensional because they will pile up the sand in certain areas and it's, it's quite beautiful. It's all made of uh, the sand and they it's almost as if they they put different color sand like a, a pink sand in a metal funnel and they basically just drop those little pieces little grains of sand to make this huge symbolic pattern um, takes them five days and then uh, because this is all about impermanence after it's all created and it's just intricate and beautiful, the head teacher, the Rinpoche, will come by and with one sweep of his arm, destroy the whole thing. Ah. Yes. <laughs> ah. I know they do that. And it just, it, it hurts me it, every time. It does. Can you at least take pictures? We did. 
<laughs> but but the Tibetans don't. Wow. <laughs> um, and so when they sweep it up into a pile, they pour it into an urn, which is kind of interesting. And then all of those colors, those beautiful colors that had so much diversity in them, when they're piled together, they become all brown gray dirt color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you see, this is not the end of it, though. As as I was with you, I just felt, oh, my, you know, I, I felt a great deal of sadness as I saw that all destroyed. And I was wondering, well, what's next? And they um, they take the sand in the urn and the completion of the whole thing is to dispose of that sand into moving water because they believe that water is the, the source of life. So they return all of that back into the water. So we all drove over to the river and uh, we accompanied them. And then the, the seven Tibetan monks lined up along the water um, shore, right at the edge of the water. And they gave their chanting, they started their chanting some of them had those long, long horns again that mm -hmm. were blasting. And the day was so beautiful, so full of light. And I started to notice that the, the fish in the water that usually, you know, just kind of are randomly swimming around, they all started coming towards the Tibetan monks and kind of lining up. I oh, kid wow. you not. And then four big butterflies, white, yellow blood, butterflies, came to the monks and wildly circled the monks. They were just flying around them in this big circle. And right before they were ready to pour the sand into the water, a huge dragonfly came and just kind of like perched himself right in front of all of the monks. And it was amazing, Ellen. It was just truly amazing that that the the animals, the animal kingdom mm -hmm. was was really getting it, you know, and really responding to this. And then when they poured the sand from the mandala into the water, this releasing was in some ways even more beautiful than what the mandala was. It was it was this joy of freedom, putting it in the flow of a river. The, the idea that this sand would not be ended, but it would be part of that, those fish and those, everything that was alive there. It was just changed. It was changed into a different form. Thank you. I've never heard that part of the ceremony. Oh, yeah. I thought yeah. it was just you sweep away the sand and that's it. So, yeah, that's well, and, and that's what, you know, without a spiritual context, that would be the end, wouldn't it? But yeah. with, with their more enhanced idea of life going on, um, that last part is very important. So we have about seven minutes, and I want to make sure you have some time to talk about practices of letting go, because you're saying okay. we can build this up. We can learn how to do it better. Yes, absolutely. So important. Um, there are many practices for letting go. Uh, of course, we talked about the, the unity practice of the burning bowl ceremony. 
-hmm. In our culture, we do have some things that if we can take to heart and realize this is part of the practice, the scattering of ashes of a loved one is actually a practice that we do in our culture and other cultures of letting go. And if you've ever actually, uh, you know, poured out the urn uh, wherever the person wanted it to be, um, to, to see that, that that being, that body uh, exists now in uh, no more than a, you know, a few, a few inches of mm -hmm. dust. It's, uh, it's sobering. It, it shows us that, you know, the body is, is not forever. Um, burials, of course, can do the same when you realize that this outer expression of the person that you loved is, is no longer. Um, and as we uh, witness that and we take that as to heart, we can continue with the letting go process. There are other ideas, though. Um, simply letting go in terms of relationships this is a big one for most of us. Um, letting go of trying to make our loved ones do things that we would want them to do rather than what they would want to do. And, um, you know, this, if, and w when we can begin to realize that um, another's life and another's choices are up to them and up to their, their contract with their soul then we can let go of trying to influence or control others. It, leaves, it, it leads to much more freedom, much more happiness in relationships. Yeah. On a physical level, we can do this. And there's so many books out now about releasing clutter, no longer useful items, release them. This is so good um, because what we see physically, we also embody in our bodies as well. So if you would like a free um, physical life as well, clear in your physical realm and let go of no longer useful items. Um, on a mental level, of course, releasing antiquated beliefs and limiting thoughts, such as a thought, death ends my relationship with my loved one. Perhaps we can re- understand that perhaps the relationship with your loved one is simply changed um you know on, and other antiquated beliefs and thoughts and on a behavioral level replacing negative habits with more positive ones um so that you know if you are aware that there is not even a full addiction but an addictive pattern that is no longer serving your life you can change that. You have the ability now while you're in this earthly form to be able to do that with power and strength, with intention. So all of these and more are really good ways to practice letting go. Oh, and one more, Ellen, if I may. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a very important one is for people who are so committed to doing the best in their, their work life and so forth. There's so many things that you can't finish every day. How about if at the end of your day you could say, okay, 
I'm finished with my project today. I did not complete it, but I can let go of it and sleep peacefully that I did all that I could do today. Oh, that's a good idea. Because mm-hmm. I, I end a lot of days feeling guilty because mm. I didn't get more done and I didn't finish what I thought I would. And yes. Okay. So I'm finished even though I'm not complete. Yes. I'm finished for yes. today. Absolutely. Thank you. That helps a lot. Freer, right? That could make it freer. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to run out of time before we get to Mary Oliver. She's one of okay. my favorite poets. And you said, yes. she, what? you didn't tell me what she said. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, uh, Mary Oliver, a favorite of so many of us, uh, you may know she died on January 17th, just last month. And I found one of her poems that I thought was so appropriate for today. It's called In Blackwater Woods from her American Primitive. And I'll just read the end of it. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. One, to love what is mortal. Two, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And three, when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. We are here to embrace both life and loss, both love and loss. We can't have one without the other. Okay. We, I like that because she says, hold it close while you can. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. not saying just detach from everything because nothing will last. No, no. Yes, she's really saying embrace it. Love it deeply and fully mm-hmm. as if your own life depends on it. Mm. And it really does. How much we love um, really makes a difference in our lives. And then when the time comes to let it go, let it go. Yeah, and so knowing you have loved it well, person, a situation, I, is that is it easier to let it go then? Um, yes and no. <laughs> yes, because you loved as well as you possibly could in the time that you had with mm-hmm. the level of awareness that you had. And that you can take great comfort in. And no, because there will be grief because you Mm -hmm. loved. However, the grief, as we know, is a healing expression. It is an expansive way to develop our very soul. So even though it is painful and sad, and we have all of those feelings that we've talked about, it is also one of the deepest ways that our soul will will develop and grow. And the compassion and the deeper love that comes as a result of it is just amazing. Patricia, thank you so much for being on the show again. Next week, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. What happens to us when we die? Yes. Are we truly souls? And what about your life after their death? So we'll talk some more next week on Voices of Unity. I look forward to it, Ellen. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.